Madam, thank you to all the sisters for taking us to a higher plane. My most humble pranams to our Pranasakha Atma Rama Bhagwan Sri Satisai Baba, who allowed all of us to be here this morning. We are extremely fortunate to have Mrs. Shivani Sinha Sola and Dr. Shrikan Sola, who have come from Bangalore all the way to impart some pearls of wisdom to us this morning. Following the rule, ladies first, and being a lady myself, I'll introduce Mrs. Shivani first to all of you. Uh, Mrs. Shivani Silha Sola is a management graduate and who was a former investment banker. She has worked in various uh, senior management positions in a lot of banks in India and abroad, and she has received multiple Best Performance Awards as well as Best Manager Awards. She then changed careers when Swami asked her to shift from banking and become a spiritual counsellor, giving her step-by-step -step guidance all the way on how she should become a spiritual counsellor. She currently heads a busy spiritual consulting practice based at Whitefield in Bangalore. On behalf of all of us, I request uh, Mrs. Uh, Farida Bahadurji to please uh, present a bouquet to Mrs. Shivani Sola. Thank you so much for coming all the way. Sairam. We have an interesting doctor amongst us today who understands and heals both the physical and the spiritual hearts of people. Dr. Shrikant Sola, who can talk with ease about uh, different planes of consciousness and karma and in the same ease also speak about triglycerides and cholesterol. He is a consulting and practicing cardiologist at the Sri Satisai Institute of Medical Sciences at uh, Whitefield, Bangalore. He completed his undergraduate and medical training in the United States of America, having studied at various institutions like the Harvard, Stanford and the Duke universities. He went on to work as a cardiologist in the best hospital in USA called as the Cleveland Clinic of Hearts, where he served for a long time and it is ranked as the number one hospital in the United States. Dr. Sola has received numerous awards for his clinical and academic work, including the honor of one of America's top cardiologists by the Consumer Research Council of America. He's also been listed in the who's who of America and who's who in the science and engineering, and the various uh, awards that he's got speak for themselves. While Dr. Sola and his wife were on the crest of the wave of success, in 2008, Dr. Shrikant and his wife relocated to Bangalore because Swami asked them to come and serve in the super speciality hospital at Bangalore, thus setting a very fine example of leaving the worldly attractions and come and work for a higher cause and listen to their inner calling. Their son studies in the Swami school in Puttaparthi and their lives focus on love, selfless service and obedience of Swami's teachings. Today, we are gathered here to absorb some of the pearls of wisdom that they will be imparting to all of us. They have been extremely fortunate to be close to Bhagwan, both in the worldly sense as well as in the astral forms. They have received a lot of guidance from Baba on various aspects of spiritual progress. They will share with us the one thought that is needed for self-realization and many other simple techniques that Swami has given Himself to them. On behalf of Sri Satisai Seva Organization, 
Mumbai, I request Mr. Anup Saxena, our district president, to welcome Dr. Shrikant Sola. Take a nice, slow, deep breath and relax. Take another slow, deep breath. And breathe out any other thoughts. Take one more very slow, deep breath. And settle in. Now imagine Swami standing in front of you. Take your attention to his face. His beautiful hair. The very extremely loving eyes. The radiant smile, take your attention to his hands, the very tender, graceful, loving hands. his blazing orange color robe his lotus feet take your attention back up again at his beautiful feet the bright dazzling orange robe the hands that bless you the face you can never forget
Now let us open ourselves up to receiving love from Swami. Imagine a rose or any other pink colored flower in the place of your heart. Check to see if the flower is closed, half open or fully opened. Breathe in love from Swami, asking this flower to open. As you breathe in unconditional love from Swami, feel this flower blossoming, emitting a wonderful fragrance. Your heart is now open to receiving Swami's love. Express gratitude to Swami for this opportunity to feel His love. and slowly come back to the present moment. With this simple invocation, we offer our loving pranams at the lotus feet of our beloved Bhagavan, who is here with us today. Respected elders, dear brothers and sisters, embodiments of the Divine Atma, our loving, loving sidearms to you all. We're delighted to be with you here this morning and we'd like to thank the organizers for giving us a chance to share Swami's wisdom and love with each and every one of you. But as we speak with you, as Shivani and I share what small amount we know with you, we are actually not at all interested whether you understand what we say with your mind because that mind is only the monkey mind and as Swami says it is not just any monkey it is a mad monkey. monkey what we would like you to do instead 
is to pay attention to the consciousness from which we speak. Okay? The words are not at all important. It is the consciousness from which we speak that is important. That consciousness is not Shivani's consciousness. It is not Srikant's consciousness. It is not a consciousness that is separate from you. It is that one supreme consciousness which you are, which you have always been. It is that consciousness, that awareness that we want you to pay attention to. This is not a talk. It is not a series of exercises or a sadhana camp. It is a chance to tune in to that one God consciousness that you are. You've just forgotten. See, Swami's teachings are very simple, no? In fact, you could really summarize them in just a few sentences. All of you pay attention to what I'm about to say. Listen very closely. You are not the body. You are not the mind. All of the things that have happened to you in this birth or any of your previous births are just a dream. Now some of you have already stopped paying attention. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Okay? You are not the body. You are not the mind. You are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions or feelings. Again, some of you are not at all paying attention to what we are saying. Tune in and listen to what is being said. If you lose this chance, you will lose a tremendous opportunity. Pay very close attention. Auntie, in the glasses. Pay exactly attention to what we're saying. If you miss this opportunity, you will go on to many, many more births. Listen to what we are saying. You are not the body. You are not the mind. You are not your ego. You are not your memories. This entire experience is simply a dream. What you are is God. You are Swami. You are Brahma. You are Vishnu. You are Maheshwara. You are Saraswati Devi. You are Lakshmi Devi. You are Durga. You are Surya Narayana with whom we open this prayer today. You are Lord Ganesh and you are all names and all forms of God. There is nothing that is separate from you. There is nothing that is distinct from you. There are six and a half billion people on this planet and countless of other creatures in whole creation. All of that is a part of you. You are that which is beyond name and form. You have no name and form. You are beyond description and beyond words. That is what you are. That is all you have ever been and all you can ever be. There is no birth. There is no death. There is no series of incarnations. You have dreamt the whole thing. You are God having a dream experience in a dream body, in a dream creation. Just as the dream that you have at night while you are sleeping seems so real, but the moment that you wake up, you realize it was just a dream. So also, all of this is just that dream which seems so real, but the moment you wake up, you realize that you are that self. Swami said once, in Brindavan, years ago, in the early 1970s, he said, self-realization is just one thought away. 
What do you think that thought is? Anyone? What do you think that thought is that leads to self-realization? What do you think? Culmination of body, mind and soul. Swami is not so complicated, no? He will keep it very simple. What else? Who am I? I am that, yes. Yes, I am. I am. That one thought is oneness. Just recognizing that everything is one. For a moment, just tune into your own awareness, whatever it is right now, and then instantly expand it and think that everybody in this hall is one and the same. Just do that now. It just takes half a second. How does it feel? It's very different. It's very peaceful. It's very loving. This love and peace is what you are. This God self is what you are. Everything in creation is you. There is nothing separate from you. There is nothing higher than you. And there is nothing lower than you. There is no, there are no levels. There is no Brahma Loka, Vishnu Loka, Shiva Loka, nothing. If it has a name and form, it is all illusion. Let me say it again. If it has name and form on any loka, on any level, it is all illusion. All that exists is the God Self, and that is all. Let us take a moment to experience this. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again. And simply observe this space within you. Now take your awareness into the universe. There are lots of planets, lots of celestial bodies, unlimited stars, suns, moons, different colors. Now just dissolve all of it. As you dissolve it all, only space is left. The same space that is within you. space that is inside is outside and what is outside is inside.
Now slowly open your eyes. Any comments on that experience? Would anybody like to share? It was peaceful, right? Stillness? Very good. Yeah. Calm and very peaceful. Yeah. See, that is your true nature. Yeah. So what is it that we are seeking outside, really? It's all inside. And it just takes this one exercise for you to realize that there is nothing outside of you, there is nothing separate from you. But if it is so easy, then why do we find it so difficult to believe that we are God, to understand that we are God, to experience that we are God? Well, we are holding on to a lot of things, birth after birth, whether it's anger, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it is resentment, whether it is guilt, shame, criticism, you name it. We've been holding on to all of this birth after birth, not being able to let go of it. But this is the time. We are all living in glorious times. This is the time for you to let go, not hold on to these layers of illusion. Let's do another exercise to help you to let go. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again and sit up straight. We are all already hooked up to Swami. Let us breathe in His love. And breathe out any traumas, bad memories, Breathe in His love, which is very unconditional, and let go of any worries, anxieties, tensions. Swami is waiting to help you to let go. Breathe in His love and breathe out disappointments. Let go. Breathe in His love and let go of the feeling of rejection.
Let go of fears. Simply breathe them out. Breathe in His love and breathe out insecurities. Breathe in His love and breathe out guilt, shame, Breathe out unforgiveness. How long will you continue holding on to this? Let go. You don't need it anymore. As you breathe in Swami's love, breathe out sadness. Breathe in this divine love and breathe out any traumas or abuse that you may have faced. Swami's love can complete you and make you feel whole. One last time. Breathe in His love and let go of anything that prevents you from receiving His love. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. It is your birthright. exist. The reflection of love is divinity. This love is all that is there 
And the more you get rid of your fears, your sense of inadequacies, your guilt, your lack of self-love, the more you get rid of the luggage that you've been carrying for so many births, the more you'll understand that love is all that is. There's nothing else but this love. This knowledge of the self, this knowledge of this love, is in Sanskrit, we call it the Brahma Vidya. And one Swami said, you actually have to have lived one million births before you become interested in this knowledge. One million births before you become. So if what we're talking about seems very boring to you, or you're not understanding it, uh, you'd rather be at home doing your laundry or ironing or scolding the servant maid or whatever it is that you do, then you can come back after another 100,000 births or whenever you're ready and we will still be here. This form, these forms, nothing. They're nothing. There's no Srikant. There's no Shivani. There's no you. It's just the self. We are just a part of you reminding you of what you've always known, but you've just taken a nap and have started dreaming. And we're just here to very gently nudge you awake that you are the God self, that you are the Paramatma, you are the Parabrahman. What else can you be? There's nothing else above you. There's nothing else below you. There is no Brahma, Vishnu, Maheshwara. Swami is a part of you. Satya Sai, Shirdi Sai, Prema Sai, they're all aspects of yourself. How are they different from you? How? I remember in the, those days when we were physically with Swami, Swami would give us many chances to be with him. Uh, and there are wonderful times. Once I was talking with Swami about the, uh, some, some discoveries I had made, spiritual learnings and lessons, and I had even written them down on a piece of paper. I was so naive in those days. And I was speaking with Swami, and as I was reading out what we had learned, because I didn't want to forget anything, Swami was so happy. He kept coming closer and closer and closer in his chair as I was sitting next to him, until Swami's and, and I was also seeing Swami being so happy, naturally we feel so blissful. And I was also leaning forward, more forward, closer to Swami, until my face was in Swami's hair. On another occasion, I was speaking with Swami, and I was actually discussing my research work with him. And I was saying, I had a presentation, I said, Swami, this graph, see, this is uh, so-and-so in milligrams per deciliter, and this is the x-axis, which is in time. And I was going through the whole presentation, just as I would a formal uh, research presentation to my colleagues. And Swami was saying, oh, these are very good results. And he was holding my hand, and we were talking. And at one point, I actually put my arm around Swami's shoulder. And he loved it. He loved it. But the times that we learned from Swami the most was those times when we were just sitting next to Swami. Swami would sometimes give me chances just to sit next to him. He didn't say anything to me. In fact, many times he didn't even look at me. But I would just have that chance to sit like how I'm sitting next to Shivani and be next to the form in that silence. And in that silence, what wisdom he would show that there's absolutely nothing. In fact, once during another chance we had to be with him, Swami said, come. I want to tell you a secret. So we thought, Hare, Swami is going to tell us a secret. I mean, if Swami told us, we'd be so excited, no? So we were also excited. We leaned closer to Swami, then Swami also leaned closer to us, and we were breathless with anticipation. And then Swami put his hand like this, and he said, actually, 
there is nothing. He did like this with his hand. Nothing really exists. And then he leaned back again in his chair. And there is silence between us and Swami for some time. That silence is the self. That silence is a Parabrahman. That silence is all that is. That silence is nothing and that nothing is everything. But what is happening is there's so much noise in here because of our past karmas, because of our memories, because of our attachments. You know, in Sanskrit we call them karmas, uh, we say vasanas, we say uh, samskritis, we say uh, uh, different terms for describing these different things that keep on coming, vasanas and so forth. Swami has actually given us a technique for letting go. And do you remember the story that Swami tells where he d tells how people used to catch monkeys in the old days? Remember that story? How is it? How do we catch a monkey? Bananas, okay. Yeah, in a pot, right? So you take a pot and you put something inside that pot and it's a narrow pot. The neck of the pot is very narrow. And monkeys being monkeys, they will look inside the pot, they will see something yummy inside and they'll put their hand inside to grab whatever it is. And then when they pull their hand out, because their hand is holding whatever was there, they won't let go. And they'll stand there helplessly until they're caught by the monkey catcher. Actually, all they can do is just let go of whatever it is and then they're free, but they don't realize that. Swami said one day, you're all like monkeys. Your hand is in the pot and you refuse to let go. This is what he said. So we are like those monkeys. All you have to do is to let go. That's it. And you're free. You have freedom. And when you have that freedom, going beyond freedom is just one simple step. Going beyond name and form is just one simple step. It's so easy. The truth is you have no name. You have no form. You have no past and you have no future. There are no past births, there are no future births, but it's that attachment that keeps you trapped and you get stuck. Now luckily Swami has given us a very simple technique to let go of all these things. He gave it to a lady named Phyllis Crystal. I think many of you are familiar with Phyllis Crystal, right? She's written many books, Cutting the Ties That Bind, Cutting More Ties That Bind, Cutting the Ties of Karma, uh, Sai Baba, The Ultimate Experience, and so forth. This cutting ties technique developed back in the 1950s. And in the 1970s, when, when Phyllis actually physically came to Swami for the first time, then Swami further developed the cutting ties work over a series of dozens of interviews. He gave her the work, he gave her the techniques, and he, he helped to develop the work further. But, and what he told her back then was very interesting. He said, this is new knowledge for a new age. He said, share this work with as many people across the world. But then he said, but not now. The time has not yet come. That was back in the 1970s. But now what we're seeing almost 40 years later is that time has come. People are finally ready to let go of that peanut that is in their hand and attain freedom. And this cutting ties technique helps us to do that. In fact, Swami told Phyllis, he said, those who come to learn the cutting ties techniques will be those who have completed most of their past karmas. And through the cutting ties work, Swami said this, 
Swami said, Swami will help them to finish off their remaining karma. What a promise. You can be free of, be free of all your past karma through this simple technique. Should we practice this now? Cutting ties work is absolutely amazing and Swami has given very uh, magical or I should say very powerful symbols. Each symbol, you know, there's a symbol for helping you to let go of fears, there's a symbol for helping you to detach, there is a symbol for helping you to balance yourself, there is a symbol for simply tuning into Swami or the higher consciousness. In fact, there are uh, concepts or tools that help you to control your mind, the mad monkey mind, and also your emotions. So would you like to do that now? Yes? Okay. So again, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, sit up straight. Imagine a monkey on your right side. You can dress up this monkey. You want to make it wear a shirt, shorts, pants, shoes, maybe even a cap. Dress it up. Once this monkey is looking handsome or beautiful, there's a rope tied around the waist of the monkey, like a harness. And you have the control. You are holding on to that rope. Let this monkey go and do its monkey thing. Maybe do some somersaults, roll, beg. Now see yourself pulling the monkey back to you. Let the monkey sit on your right side. The monkey is under control, your control. Now on your left side, imagine a tree. And around the trunk of the tree, there is a snake. The snake is moving from side to side, its hood 
moving from side to side. See yourself taking this snake and winding it around the branch of a tree. The tail and the head of the snake are hanging. Make the snake bite its own tail. Completing the loop. Your emotions are now under control. slowly open your eyes any comments please share we would like you to share with us we'll also learn in the process You can ask for Swami to help you to do it better. She has a problem visualizing the snake. So just ask Swami to help you. Know? Swami is there to give us help in every small thing. Ask him for help. So the monkey is reflective of your mind and your thoughts. And the snake is reflective of your emotions. So once you practice this, you are very centered. Okay? Your thoughts or your emotions are not getting the better of you. This snake and uh, monkey symbols, these symbols, do them before you sleep at night. You'll get very good sleep, have calm. You know how sometimes when we sleep at night, our mind is still running, right? Mm -hmm. And we're reviewing events of the day or thinking of events for the next day. If you do this before sleeping, you'll find that immediately you'll go into a peaceful and calm sleep. Do this, these symbols before you meditate every day. Do this before you have to go into a meeting. Those of you who are studying, do this before you have to start writing your exams or even before you start studying, right? Before you begin to study for the day or revising your lessons, do these simple techniques. As you can see, it hardly takes a minute to do this. That's all. The, these symbols are very, very effective. The cutting ties techniques are very powerful. So learn them, practice them and learn them. Now let us ask you, how many of you are meditating every day? How many of you meditate regularly? Okay, good, good. How many of you uh, are, let's say, chanting, doing uh, Veda chanting or other types of uh, chanting, whatever you think is appropriate? Okay, good. How many of you do Nama, Smarana, repetition of the divine name, Japa? Okay, good. How many of you spend time every day connecting with Swami within you? Wow, very good, very good. Yes, very good. How many of you teach your children to do the same thing? Okay, a smaller number, a smaller number. We'll talk about children after the break and how you can teach them to do the same thing. So let's, before we go on to the, the, this, the final part of the first half, I think we need to revise 
what we've said so far. So can anyone tell me just what, what lessons have we shared with you so far? Just call them out. Let's see how much you've absorbed of, of what we've given you so far. Just tell us what we've told you. Okay. Everything is illusion. I am God. I am not different from God. The mind is a monkey. It's a mad monkey, exactly. Very good, very good. Who wants to add to that? I think, yes, madam. So what is it? You're not the name, you're not the form. What is inside is outside of you, and what is outside is inside. It's all the same. Very beautiful. Sister? Very beautiful. Very beautiful. Thank you. The mind is like a mad monkey and that monkey will go on doing all of its things and you just pull it back so that you can control not only the monkey mind but all of your worries, all of your problems and so forth. Let go of everything. Yes. Let go of everything. Mm -hmm. Be happy. Good. 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 Mm -hmm. Swami is saying, be with me. Be with me. Very good. But I think that Swami would tell us to be you. I remember once when uh, we had gone for a darshan, actually we had gone for a group interview. In those days, you see, you see, working at Swami's hospital is very difficult. When I first started in 2008, uh, we had to define my roles and responsibility in the division you know, of cardiology there and what we would be doing, how I would be spending my time. So I went with the head of the Department of Cardiology, who's a wonderful physician. I met with the director, and there are some things that we needed to clarify. So in those days, how do we figure out these things? So the director said, well, I'm going to uh, put a party this weekend. I'll just ask Swami. And so that's what we did. And that's how we worked in those days. We just would ask Swami. What happens, though, is that Swami will tell you it's not about doing anything. It's not about even being with Him. It's about being Him. So on one occasion, we went for a group interview to have Swami's darshan. Swami granted us a group interview. All the doctors, the nurses, many of the staff, we all had a wonderful time with Swami falling all over Him. He was talking with us. He gave us such royal treatment. It was wonderful. And afterwards, when everything was done on the last day of that weekend that we were with Swami, we asked Swami's permission to go back to Bangalore. Shivani had asked. And Swami said, no, wait. He made a face. Like, you want to go? He just did this. So, so we thought, okay, well, we'll stay one more day. I told uh, my boss and so forth that, you know, Swami said like this. He said, okay, whenever Swami permits you, then you come back. So the next day, because, you know, operations are there, patients are there, we have to go back and take care of our patients. So next day, Swami came, asked him for permission to leave. He said, stay for a while. Okay, a few days went by. Again, got the courage to ask Swami's permission. This time he got really upset. And when Swami is upset, it's like being before Rudra. I mean, it's really scary. So we stayed, and this went on for a week. A week became two weeks, and then it became three weeks that Swami kept us with him in Parthi. And every day we would interact with him in, in his own way, speaking with him or whatever. At the end of those three weeks, Swami gave us one very important lesson. 
See, we are not here to do anything. We are simply here to be God. We are simply here to be the self. We are human beings, not human doings. And I think for those of you, especially coming from Mumbai, where you're always doing, doing, doing. No, you're always running, it seems like. Everyone's running from one end of the city to the next. What are you doing? You're not here to do anything. You're here to be. You're just here to allow that divine expression to manifest in your life, like a flower that blossoms and shares its beautiful beauty and fragrance. Just allow it to manifest. Now, be, being does not mean inaction. It does not mean you stop doing your karma. It only means an inner state where you're allowing things to happen. Right? And that calls for practice. And uh, the cutting tie symbols, in fact, one of the symbols which is called the maypole, really helps you to hook up to Swami and allow him to think through you, to speak through you, to feel through you, to act through you, and to love through you. That is the practice. Swami had spoken to you back in 2010, right? 85th birthday time, Swami had spoken to Shivani and told her to learn. Learn from Phyllis. Phyllis had come that time for a visit to see Swami. So actually Swami came and spoke to her and said, learn from Phyllis. And that's how we started uh, with this. Cut off your karmas, be free. It was very simple. Like Swami said when he put his hand. Another time we asked Swami, we said, Swami, uh, please grant us complete self-realization. Swami was so happy when we asked for this. So happy. I will give, I will give. As if he's going to give us a chocolate, you know. I will give, I will give. <laughs> so then he said, self-confidence is a foundation. Self-satisfaction are the walls. Self-sacrifice is the roof. And then you have self-realization. And he put his hand like this and said, simple. simple. <laughs> so this self-confidence is what we hope to share with you. Learn this. Feel it. Be it. Speak it, think it, breathe it. I am God. I am not different from God. I am the individual supreme absolute, indivisible supreme absolute. I am the Parabrahman. I am Sai. I am that. All of this is me. There is nothing separate from me. There is nothing different from me. I am that. The whole creation is there in the palm of my hand. I am beyond birth and I am beyond death. I have no name, I have no form, I have no body. I am everything at all times. I am, I am that. Let's do a simple meditation. On another occasion, um, I was sitting in Darshan and uh, Swami came towards me. So they, he had the boys turn the whole wheelchair. Mm. So he turned towards me and I was like, I just fell at his feet, took Pag Namaskar as much as I could. And uh, then he, he blessed and then the boys turned the wheelchair again and as Swami was moving, he just looked back at me like this and he said, I may as well have touched your feet. I may as well have touched your feet. Not because she's anything, anything great. great. Not because she's great. Same. Same. No so difference. Why are we even seeing that separation with Swami, putting him on a pedestal? We are the one. Swami is you, no? You are Swami. What else can you be? What is God's will? 
God's will is for you to know that you are God. Uncle, you're not paying attention. Pay attention, please. Brown shirt. God's will is for you to know that you are God. As we're speaking and sharing this information with you, don't lose this opportunity. Don't miss it. Self-realization is just one thought away, that thought of oneness. That's all. It's so simple. You don't have to go to the Himalayas and do tapasya. You don't have to go and sit in a cave. You don't have to run into the jungles. You can be right here in Mumbai where you are and be self-realized. Self-realization is not something that's so far away. It is here. It is now. It is what you are. You are already self-realized. Let's understand it like that. You are already God. It's only the mind and the ego that tells you you are not. The mind and the ego tell you, oh, you have a long way to go. You must go and do tapasya standing on your head. Then only maybe you may, be, you may attain moksha. Look at the mind. The mind tells you you are not good enough. You are not beautiful enough. You are not smart enough. You are not intelligent enough. You, not this time. So the real practice becomes unsilencing the mind and the ego and going deeper within ourselves to the God selves that we are. Talk about tapasya, what in fact, let's give you another perspective on this. How many of you think I want to go to the Himalayas, I want to give up everything, I'll go and meditate there, I don't need this family, I'm done. How many of you feel you're done? Yeah. Like you've completed, had enough of this Maya experience. The rest of you want to come back for more, I guess, is that right? Another 10,000 births, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes? You want to come back? More births? No. Enough. No? Enough. Enough of separation. Yeah. So let's understand this that probably in many of your previous births you've already done a lot of tapasya. You know obviously you had some good karma that in this birth you have become aware of Swami. You're, you were aware of the avatar. You had uh, the benefit of his darshan, sparshan and sambhashan. Now in this birth you are already doing tapasya. Going through traffic is not easy. Breathing in polluted air or drinking polluted water is not easy, right? Going into, uh, you know, crowded areas or putting up with um, corrupt people is not easy. But this is your tapasya. Your tapasya and probably previous births was walking through forests, you know, walking bare feet, sitting, uh, you know, uh, on mountain tops and meditating or doing penance of, you know, very hard penance, probably renouncing a lot of things, you know, maybe uh, just eating very less, wearing very less and so forth. Probably that was appropriate for those times. But for these times, this is your tapasya. So see no separation that, oh, I want to leave everything and go in the Himalayas and meditate. Going through everyday life in this age is your tapasya. Next time you are bogged down by anything where you feel, oh my God, the traffic is so much, oh my God, this, this is so bad, or whatever. Point yourself back to the truth and say, this is my tapasya. This is God. 
This is God. All these beings, that fellow who's honking his horn at me as I'm driving through traffic, that is God. The whole experience is God. It's not separate. That is real tapa. See, you go to the mountains, you meditate, there's nobody to bother you. Big deal. What's so difficult about that? Now you're going through rush hour in Mumbai, there's thousands of people all around you, and you're still aware that everything is God? Wow. That is real practice. That is real tapas. See the difference? So when all of you go home today from this hall, as you go through the traffic, and for the rest of the week and every week for the rest of this incarnation, understand that it is all God. And the real tapas is knowing that everything is Swami. There is nothing to like, there is nothing to dislike. What happens when we see something dirty? Let's say we see some garbage on the road. What happens to us? We resist, right? What happens when we resist? So, Madam, tells me, when you resist something, what happens to you? You feel uneasy. Do you feel happy? No. The moment you resist anything, you will suffer. That is the law of resistance. The moment you resist anything, you will suffer. A true master will embrace everything. There is no resistance. There is no resistance. That is tapasya. Letting go of all resistance. It does not mean that you have to accept a dharma. It does not mean that you have to accept if someone is doing something wrong. That is different. But there is no resistance. You are embracing everything and seeing everything as one and the self. So I think we should give them this as homework. Right? See, no point in us coming and speaking with you. Let, let's keep the goal as having complete Atma Sakshatkar. The goal is to have complete and full realization of the self. And how can we do that? Of course, quieting the mind and the ego. And let's consider everything, all our actions, all our thoughts as tapasya. Whether it's going shopping, whether it's going to work, whether it's going through uncomfortable situations, meeting on people whom you don't like or not able to like, think of it as tapasya. What a beautiful opportunity we have. Equanimity. Yes. See, equanimity, suppose I spill this glass of water and I don't get upset. That is equanimity. But suppose the glass of water spills, I clean it up, everything is okay, but I realize it is still the self. It is still the God self. This is God, this is God. The water spilling on the table is also God. The traffic, the rush, the crowds, the dirt, that is also God. Everything is God. Self-realization is just one thought away. Oneness. You are God, everything is God. Sister. So as Swami told us, and he said many times, it starts with self-confidence. She's saying, is saying it enough or do you have to do more? It starts with self-confidence. Then when you have that self-confidence, you'll have self-satisfaction. See, self-confidence, it does not mean uh, in the worldly way. Self-confidence means the confidence of knowing yourself to be divine. Hmm. 
So sister had said that a practical way of believing that I am God is to be good, do good, and see good. That is good, that is fine, but you have to go beyond that. See, you get self-confidence, then you get self-satisfaction. I am peace, I am bliss, I am love. I require nothing, I need nothing. And you know, when you are in that state of desirelessness, that is the highest ananda. There is no higher ananda than that, of being in the state of absolute desirelessness. And then that leads to self-sacrifice. But when, I, when we say this, usually the men, ladies, you understand what I'm saying, usually the men will come up with some intellectual thing here and there. Swami says this, what about that? What is self-sacrifice, gents? Yes, sir. Go desireless, okay. And give up bad qualities, okay. Others? Yes, sir, in the far back. So the, so the most of us desire certain things and giving up those desires, but real self-sacrifice is giving up ego. Have you all heard Swami saying that God is the only hero and the rest are all zeros? What does that mean? Madam, what does that mean? God is the only hero and the rest are all zeros. He's the doer? Okay, fine. We have value only when we attach ourselves to Him. Okay. So that is good. So that is the first level of understanding that God is the only hero and He is the one and we have value only when we attach ourselves to Him. Let's go deeper. What does it mean that we are zero? Yes, sir. We are all zeros. We are not heroes. Okay. Okay, all right. Let's go deeper though. To be really zero. Uh, to be zero means to be nothing. nothing. To be nothing. No ego, no attachment, no desires, no wants, no thoughts. Many times when we were with Swami, see, staying in Whitefield, we're in Bangalore in Swami's hospital. It's so beautiful. Swami once told me, he said, this hospital campus is one of the most sacred places on the planet in Whitefield. So it's pretty easy for us to be on that sacred place and, and go to a very high level of awareness. So we would come in those days to Puttaparthi to have Swami's darshan and we would see Swami and then all the things around him, which is fine, just people, devotees coming to have their time with Swami, people coming to, to be with Swami, to have his darshan. But then, as long as you focus on what is around Swami, then you get lost in the Maya, right? Maya engulfs you very rapidly. But when you focus completely on Swami, then you become that. And so in those days, we would just ask Swami to merge our consciousness into His. Just become that, become nothing, become nothing. So when Swami says, God is the only hero, and the rest are all zeros, the real practice is to become nothing. 
no thoughts, no feelings, not even an impulse. You are just that. He once said, he said, think nothing, feel nothing. Just watch my play. When we are alone, if either of us are by ourselves, suppose that she's gone out or I've gone out, and we're just alone at home or wherever it is, we actually don't have to do anything. We may take care of our food, we may take care of the house or whatever, and that's fine. But when all of that is done, we just are. We can simply be in the self, sitting on our sofa, being the Parabrahman. There's nothing to do, there's nothing to acquire, there's nothing to think, there's nothing to feel. It is just absolute consciousness. Absolute consciousness. That is what you are. Sister has a question in the back. I just wanted to ask, when you say that we should not have any desires, that then that means that progress stops at that point? Because when we have a desire, then only do we progress forward. So the question is, do you have a desire? So we'll, we'll, pick, we'll speak on desires after the break. So we'll come back to that. The question is about desires and how do you progress if you don't have desires. We'll give you a different perspective on it. Let's end with one meditation. We'll take a break and then we'll come back. Okay, we've already shared a lot with you and your mind is, is, initially there was a bit of resistance and then you got into the groove and then we said a few more things and then more questions came up, which is fine. But let's end with one meditation. And this time we're really going to make you work. Okay? This is called the thumb meditation. The thumb meditation. Swami says, this is the essence of all forms of meditation. Whether you do Jyoti meditation, Vipassana, uh, whatever type, it doesn't matter, Kriya Yoga, etc. It all comes back to this one simple technique. He's taught this several times, but the teaching is always the same. We're going to share exactly what he has said. In the thumb meditation, all you do is you simply watch your thumb. You don't think anything, you don't feel anything. You don't have to say sidearm, sidearm, sidearm. You don't have to think, oh, I need to cut my fingernails. You don't have to think or do anything. You're just simply watching. And you know the best part about this technique, especially for people in Mumbai who are always running around, is you only have to do this for 12 seconds. Imagine, 12 seconds, moksha, done, finished. 12 seconds. See, that's, uncle was telling me before we started, you know, we're all from Mumbai, uh, everything is fast, fast here, so, you know, if they get bored, then try to speed it up a little bit and so forth. So, this 12 seconds and then we're done. So let's go through this. I'm going to take you through it several times. Let's start. Everybody get their thumb ready. And when I say begin, I'm just going to ask you to watch your thumb then when I say stop, we'll stop. And then we'll do it several times. Okay? Everybody get your thumb. Just watch it and begin. And stop. So what did you notice? What did you notice in the green shirt?
So the thoughts were there in the mind, but they were stopped, right? Very good, very good, very good. Let's do it again. This time, if thoughts come, let them go. Don't hang on to the thoughts. Just allow the thoughts to go. Just watch your thumb. Get your thumb ready and begin. and stop. So what happened this time, auntie, wearing the maroon sari? You're still conscious of? Wondering what is happening. Wondering what is happening. That is the monkey mind. That is the monkey mind. Okay, let's go back and let's do our monkey technique. So all of you, remember that we call that monkey on your right side. Dress it up in however way you want. Make it jing-bang if you like. It's tied to a rope with a harness that goes around its torso. Allow the monkey to do its monkey business as it goes around. And when you're ready, just pull on the chain or the rope and immediately the monkey comes back and sits quietly and peacefully on your right-hand side. Turn to your left side on your inner seam. Visualize a tree with a snake that is wound around that trunk. The snake symbolizes the emotions. It can be a peaceful, happy snake. And you take that snake and have it tied or wound around a branch of the tree. The head and the tail of the snake are hanging down and the snake gently takes its tail in its mouth and holds the tail in its mouth. Symbolizes that your emotions are controlled. This is on your left side. Let's open our eyes. Let's get our thumb out again. Simply watch the thumb and if your monkey mind becomes active, just tell it to be quiet and continue. And start. and stop. So auntie wearing the blue sari in front, what happened to you that time? Just behind, auntie in the blue sari. Mind was quiet, mind was quiet. 
Swami says if we do this for 12 seconds, it is like a muhutam. Actually, in, in one interview, Swami said 11 seconds. Sorry, in one discourse in 2007, was it? He said 11 seconds. In one interview, two interviews, sorry, he said 12 seconds. The reason for the difference between 11 and 12 seconds is not because Swami got confused or said, you know, the wrong thing. It is because it is actually neither. It is about 11 and a half seconds. In yoga, it is a type of muhutam. So if you do this for 12 seconds, that becomes one dharana, dharana, one period of concentration. If you do that times 12 seconds, that is 2 minutes and 24 seconds, it becomes one dhyana, one period of meditation. 2 minutes 24 seconds if you do the thumb meditation. Now here's the best part. Swami says, if you do that dhyana 12 times continuously without a break, it becomes a little bit less than 29 minutes and that becomes one samadhi. You can experience samadhi within less than a half hour simply by practicing this thumb meditation. It is the essence of all forms of meditation. It is really the highest, the peak of all types of meditation. Why use your thumb? Swami jokingly said. He says, well, it is because you carry it around with you wherever you go. But let's go deeper. You know, when Swami teaches something, there are so many levels of understanding, right? So the thumb in our Purusha Shuktam is said, the Purusha, the Atma within us, the, the God Self within us, as it resides within the body, is said to be about the size of a thumb, correct? If those of you who know th this part of the Vedas will, will remember that. In our yoga, when we do certain types of mudras, when we do the jnana mudra, where we keep the, the tips of the thumb and the index finger together, and we extend the last three fingers, the last three fingers represent the three gunas, the three characteristics of creation. The index finger represents the jivatma and the thumb represents the paramatma. So this thumb meditation is visualizing the paramatma, silencing the mind, becoming that. Let's do it again, but this time we're going to change it. Yes, sir. So the doubt is about the, the cutting ties technique. So you have the monkey on your right and you have the snake on your left. Why is the snake used for symbolizing emotions? See, the right side of our body is our thought, symbolizes our thoughts. So when somebody gets, have you heard of uh, someone who's being very left-brained, right? Ladies will say, yeah, my husband, no? But you, so someone who's left-brained is very logical, very thinking-oriented. The left brain controls the right side of the body, your thoughts. The right side of the brain controls the left side of your body. This is where the emotional parts, many of them, are located. So the emotions are symbolized on the left side. This snake is a symbol given by Swami to Phyllis to help us to control the emotions. In fact, what Swami said is very interesting. The way these symbols work, although they look very childish, when we tune into them, when we utilize a symbol, we are tuning into this divine symbol that Swami himself created and the divine energy that flows through that symbol then throws, flows through us and has its effect on us. That's how these cutting ties tools work. 
the snake, is it also a symbol of negativity? Creativity. Creativity. Yes, yes it is. The the subconscious mind tends to identify it in that way, you know. So the subconscious is the mind that's below the conscious mind, right? So different uh, symbols or says different animals also represents different aspects of our consciousness. So the snake is representative either of emotions or of creativity. So how much to repeat? So the question was how much to repeat the thumb meditation? If you do it for 12 seconds, and uh, all of you who have children, all of you who are Balvika's gurus, please pay attention. If you repeat this for 12 seconds, and Swami says if you do that 12 seconds a day for three months, at the end of three months, you will have laser-like concentration. And it is true. We teach this to our nursing students at Swami's hospital. We have a nursing college there. And we teach it to them. And we see that in the beginning, that when they're reading their book, yeah, all of us have had this experience. No, we're reading a textbook, we're trying to study, we read a few paragraphs. And after some time, we don't know what we've just read. Our mind has gone off. This technique helps us to improve our concentration. Just 12 seconds a day for three months, enough. Our nursing students regularly come number one and number two in the state of Karnataka after practicing this technique all the time. It's routine. We expect number one, number two in the state at Swami school. You can choose to gradually increase the time. So you're doing it 12 seconds. Do it for a week for 12 seconds. Then increase it. Do it 12 times 12, which is 1 minute 44 seconds. Then double that. Do it 2 minutes 24 seconds. And then make it, you know, for a week, just do it totally for 2 minutes 24 seconds. And then just watch how you will start enjoying it and going into the silence within. And then increase it. And then make it eventually 28 minutes. And then get samadhi. Yeah. Simple. Simple. Why is it so difficult to? To reach unity consciousness. Because you don't practice. You don't practice. No, you'll come here to this conference. I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll come to this talk. You'll say, wow, Shivani and Srikant spoke really well. You'll go home. You'll practice for a couple of days. And then you'll forget. You fall asleep. Right? How many speakers have come here? How many speakers have spoken to you? You all listen in rapt attention. You go home, you fall asleep again. You don't practice. That's why you don't realize this. So Swami said, okay, they don't practice 12 seconds, cello. at least let them do that much. 12 seconds a day, that's all it takes. If you don't want to use your thumb, then if you're at a traffic signal, let's say you're driving or, or you're in a car, if you had a traffic signal, use the traffic signal. Look, use the red light on the traffic signal. If you're walking, then use a spot on the floor. That becomes your thumb. If you're in your puja, then use the deepam in your altar. Swami says you can use anything, but the thumb is the easiest because we don't have any emotional hang-ups about our thumbs, right? There's nothing emotional about our thumb. It's just our thumb. Let's do it one last time. This time I want you to feel that Swami is doing the thumb meditation through you. He's the doer and you're just watching as Swami does the thumb meditation. And see what it feels like as Swami is meditating through you. Let's begin. Let's get our thumbs ready. Let's ask Swami to meditate through us. 
and start. and stop. So how was that different? What happened this time? When you stop doing and allow Swami to work through you, concentration was much more. Stillness. Yes. Good. Good. Very good. Very good. Others? Yes, sir? Pure consciousness. You were conscious about Swami doing yeah, the meditation yeah. through you. Earlier, it was very uh, no thought absolutely. Before twice we did no? that time there were no thoughts actually, just watching. That's it. But now when you say that Swami is doing through us, so become more conscious and. So just watch. Yeah. Just watch. Remember how when Swami would be before us physically, and we would just watch Swami. We wouldn't have anything to do or think. We would just watch his beautiful form before us. How lovely it was. Just watching. Just watching. When you do the thumb meditation properly, what will happen is that first you will have many monkey mind experiences. You will say, oh, I can see the aura around my thumb. Or should I say sidearm, sidearm, sidearm? No, no, no. Don't do anything. No japa, no nothing. You're just watching. You're just observing. You can breathe easily, you can blink your eyes, okay? And if you can change your posture, that's all right. You can blink your eyes. You're not torturing the body here. Right? That's not the idea. Monkey mind. Monkey mind. Monkey mind. What will happen when you do this technique properly? is that Swami says, first, the thumb will disappear. Then, you will disappear. Finally, 
everything will disappear. And when that happens, you will be in Samadhi. You will know yourself, experience yourself as that which is beyond description, beyond words, beyond freedom. We want you to practice this technique every day without fail. Teach this to your children. Teach this to your students. Teach it to your colleagues at work. Share it with them. It's a non-religious, non-spiritual type of activity. Share this technique with them. And you will see that even the disturbance of the cell phone doesn't bother you because it becomes one and the same. Your concentration, your focus is absolute. Practice, practice, practice. What we'll do is we'll end here and we'll come back after the break. You know, Swami once said that in the end, when the body turns to ashes, you will be asked only one question. And that question is, how much love have you shared with all of creation in one single moment, in every single moment? How much love have you shared with all of creation in every single moment? The rest of it, how was your relationship with your wife or your husband? How, what was your bank balance? How many cars did you have? What properties did you have? He said, that is a byproduct. A byproduct. He did his hands like this, byproduct. It doesn't matter. So the whole focus then becomes, how is it that we can love? Swami's first and basic teaching, love all, serve all. How is it? Let's understand the love all. Love all, of course, many of you may think, how can I love this person? How can I love that person? This person says, is mean to me, is talking badly to me. It could be a colleague, a boss, a spouse. But let us understand this love that first, the first step is towards loving yourself. If you don't love yourself, you cannot love anybody. And this loving yourself is not about loving the body and the mind or loving and thinking, ah, I'm better than others. Or it's not a selfish love. This love is that which is all-encompassing. A love that is like an ocean, a mother's love. You are accepting everything about yourself. You are loving every aspect of yourself. You are loving every aspect of yourself. Love yourself for how you are. I'll share a dream with you that I had. Uh, in the dream, my sister and I were uh, both sitting for darshan. And Swami came towards my sister and said, You think you're perfect? And my sister just moved back and said, No, Swami, no, Swami, I'm not. He, then he was not happy with that answer. And then he came towards me in the dream and said, You think you are perfect? And I looked up to him and said, Yes, Swami. I am born in your image. I am perfect. Then he said, Ah, very good. We are all perfect at the soul level. We are all perfect the way we are. So hence it's very important for ourselves to love ourselves for being Sai. 
Love yourself for being Sai. You are no different. Remember what we told you earlier. Love alone exists. The reflection of love is divinity. Remember on another occasion Swami said, actually there is no creation, only projection. Only projection. There is no creation, only projection. This entire creation is just a projection of your own mind. It is love that exists and love is what you are. Love, interestingly, love will show you that you are everything. Wisdom which will show you that you are nothing. Wisdom will show you that you are nothing. That nothing is everything. And all of this that we think is so real is nothing. It's nothing at all. Nothing, it has no more existence than whatever you have dreamed of in your dream some 10 or 20 years ago. It has no more reality than that. But this love will show you the truth. It is the most powerful force in creation. In my practice at Swami's hospital, I've learned so much about love just from his patients. In fact, I remember Swami would tell us, he said, don't think that this is Swami's hospital. He said, think that it is our hospital. And when we would meet with Swami, the very first thing Swami would ask us is, how are our patients? Then the next thing he would ask us is, how are you? And then finally the last thing he would ask us is, are you happy? Do you need anything? And being before Bhagavan like that, we only could say, yes, Swami, very happy. Thank you, thank you. That love that he showered upon us, he would teach us to share with our patients. He would tell us, don't scold your patients, don't bark at your patients. Treat them like revered, cherished members of your own family. Give them that same hospitality, that same love. And so in my practice, I simply give each person love. Because at the end of the day, what do we all want? Love, right? An example is once there was a boy in one of our uh, classes that one of our relatives was putting on. This boy was very naughty. And our son who studies in Swami's school where everything is, you know, Sairam, 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 he couldn't understand why this boy was being so naughty. So we were discussing and said, why do you think he's being so mischievous? And he said, he's 12, he said, uh, because he wants attention. I said, okay. Why do you think he wants attention? And then he understood, because he wants love. All of us want this love, and in that seeking this love, we try to find it in many different ways. We try to find it through money. We try to look for it through acquisition of material comforts. We try to find it through sex. We try to find it through becoming famous. All the things that delude us, we try to find it through our children, through our family members, but it doesn't happen. One day one person will get married and then the next they will say, Hare, why did I get married? Someone will be not married and she says, when I am married, I will be so happy. 
We are always looking for that love, whether it is through marriage, through family, through greed, through money, through things. But we will never find it. It is only God's unconditional love, that pure love that can ever satisfy us. And in my practice, what I do is I just give each and every person that same unconditional love that Swami has given to all of us. And I find that if I get irritated at anything, if I get annoyed at anyone, if I get out of balance, if I'm not joyful at every single moment, then I'm not living in love. If there is not joy bursting within me, then there's something wrong with me. I'm not living in that full state of love. Swami would always ask us, are you happy? And Swami in so many discourses has said, be happy, be happy. It's very important for us to understand that on our spiritual journey, joy is what we really are. We are only rediscovering that aspect of ourselves. We are rediscovering that we are joy. We are rediscovering that we are peace. We are rediscovering that we are bliss. But the focus has to be, come what may, we are still happy. We are still going through it and saying, ah, Maya is showing me this also. Remember what Swami asked us once? Swami, see, when Swami asks you a question, you should not always respond. When Swami asked us, he said, do you know why you too have so much grace? Now that question, you should just keep your mouth shut. So we just sat like that. Then Swami said, because no matter what happens, you are always happy. The same thing holds good for this. You may have several issues, you know, whether it is facing corruption at different levels, whether it is having problems at home with your children, with your spouse or your parents. One thing that we can all practice definitely is the cutting ties work, which allows our, ourselves to, allows us to free ourselves from any negative influences, any kind of control, any dependence or negative influence that somebody else is trying to have on us. That frees us of that. So we cannot continue these lives saying, poor me, why is this happening to me? I'm such a victim of circumstances. It all again comes back to the fact that as Swami used to say, everything is reflection, reaction, resound. Everything that you are experiencing is simply a reflection of what is inside. So if you are having trouble with a spouse, you go within yourself and say, what aspect of me is my spouse mirroring? What aspect of me is my spouse reflecting back? What is it that I need to work on? What is it that needs to be healed within me? It's very easy to point fingers, but really you are simply consciousness in these physical bodies. You have created this world for yourself so that you can learn important lessons. So here comes your lesson. If you're dealing with corruption, uh, which is a common issue, what is it that you can do? How is it that you can simply go into a space of love? 
Swami transforms, tries to transform all of us through love. He doesn't whack us with a stick. He very patiently, like Nataraja, teaches us one step at a time. The same thing holds good for us. If we see corrupt politicians or corrupt leaders, it's so easy to point the finger and say, oh, it's because of them. Why don't we choose to go into a space of being divine, being filled, saturated with Swami's love, and send that love to these people? They are behaving the way they are because of lack of love. Can we play these roles as Swami's instruments? It is easy to say, she did that, he did this. No, it's our reflection. It's all about consciousness. And we can bring that shift within ourselves by choosing love. See, every interaction that you have has to be ended in love or you will go back again and again and again through that same interaction, whether in this birth or another birth, until you can end that interaction in love. Think about it. Every interaction that you have, whether it is with a spouse, a family member, a colleague at work, in any shape or form, will have to be ended in love, or you will go through it over and over again. Sometimes we have seen individuals facing the same issue for 50,000 births. 50,000 births to learn one lesson of love. End every interaction in love. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with the person. It doesn't mean that you have to give in to what that person is demanding. It doesn't mean that you allow a dharma to continue. And it certainly does not mean that you are a silent witness to a dharma. Remember what Swami says, when someone performs a wrong act, 50% of the karma goes to the person who performed the act. 25% of the karma goes to the accomplices. And 25% of the karma, the remaining balance, goes to those witnesses who were there, yet remained silent. So when you witness a dharma, and you choose to remain silent because you are scared, because you don't want to uh, go through any inconvenience, you are accruing karma. Now how then to face this, right? This is the issue. It has to be dealt with through love. We'll give an example here. Swami said this once to the students that uh, when the Draupadi Chirharan was taking place, said, so the students asked, Swami, it would only be the Kauravas, the Duryodhana or Dushasan who would have earned, incurred karma because of what they did. So Swami said, no. He said, the of the, when anything adharmic happens, the person who is doing the adharma will earn karma. So in this case, Duryodhana and Dushasan. The people who were, could have done something but didn't do, which was Bhishma, Pitama, Dronacharya, Kripacharya, Dhritarashtra and so forth, they incurred karma. Then there was those people who were silent witnesses thinking this is none of our business really, there's nothing for us to do. There were the kings who were sitting in the court simply watching what was happening. 
all of them incurred karma and in the end they were all killed dead because of that karma now let's say we come across some adharma some wrong act let's say there's atrocities against women let's say that we find out that some huge scandal has been perpetrated by some government office or some private corporate office it doesn't matter you choose your flavor we can go and shout slogans we can march in protest we can put up banners we can protest on facebook and twitter we can do any number of things but unless the demand for change is rooted in unconditional love all of that activity will have very little effect if you respond to adharma with anger it may have a small effect but most likely those who are performing the adharmic action will only become resistant and pull back they will deny any wrongdoing but when you respond with love even if you have to scold even if you have to punish when you respond with love and demand a change through love based on love then you will make the change let's say that we're talking about safety for women right this is a big issue in our country let's say that instead of shouting at the police and the government to give us safety let us say that we begin asking how can we make our society safe for our mothers our sisters and our daughters how can we as men protect and honor the virtue and dignity of the women in our society how can we teach our children equality in society how can we ensure that everyone in every class in every state in every city town and village is free from sexual harassment of any type let's not call it eve teasing let's call it sexual harassment what it really is now you see the difference when you ask these questions but instead if you simply hold a slogan and march off you've maybe created a little bit of awareness you've maybe created a little bit of splash but unless you're marching with unconditional love as a foundation of what you are doing it won't do very much it will not do very much so if you want to change society it has to come from unconditional love that pure love of swami's love that love that he gave to each and every person doesn't matter how corrupt they were doesn't matter how virtuous they were he gave that love to everyone that love you have to learn to share in every single moment of your life that's all that matters let's speak a little bit about desires we had a question earlier today that uh, you know if we don't have the desire can we move forward well what swami has said is that desires are fine but desires that are expansive are okay which means don't have small petty selfish desires let your desires be for the benefit of all this leads us back to sharing love in every single moment for example if you are enjoying an ice cream if you like an ice cream and you are enjoying an ice cream can you share that with all of creation 
instead of it being a small petty desire for tasting chocolate can you say that may all of creation enjoy this ice cream as i am enjoying it now may everybody be filled with love and light may all beings realize that they are god and have always been god and so be it this is sharing love this is how you can make your desires for the benefit for all if your desires are smaller and pettier they may benefit you for a short while and then you will only be jumping from fulfilling one to the other the desire that you have for the benefit of entire humanity is all right you are expanding your consciousness if you have desires which are very indulging then there's karma associated with it you'll be spending birth after birth just uh, fulfilling those vasanas instead choose to cut ties with those vasanas and move into a space where you are completely uh, in love in swami's love desires are okay as long as they are fulfilling a higher purpose you can shift that you can change that in your consciousness and allow it to happen for the benefit of all if you are watching a movie for example a funny movie then share that with all of creation and say may all of creation be filled with joy as i am enjoying this movie now well we spoke about oneness earlier this is another way of practicing oneness let's say you're going for a walk you say may all who step their feet in my footsteps realize that they are god and have always been god and so it is as you are stepping out of your home you say may all who are seeing my form today realize that they are divine and have always been divine and so it is another chance to share love another chance to practice being divine another chance to expand your consciousness shall we take them through a meditation okay. you no you would do better okay. so let's practice this now let's fill ourselves with swami's love let's see how we can share love okay so if you can sit with your back straight your neck straight your legs uncrossed take a nice deep breath and center yourself imagine a pole in front of you this pole could be like the sarva dharma stupa or a dwaja stamba and there are different colored ribbons 
flowing from the top of this pole. Swami is at the top of this pole, our very own higher consciousness. See yourself selecting a ribbon, any color, any pattern. This ribbon is your connection, your inner connection with Swami. Ask Swami to fill you with His love. This love is flowing down through the ribbon and coming to you. This is not the love that says, I will love you only if you do what I want you to do. This is a love that accepts you, forgives you, Breathe in Swami's love. See your hands, your legs, your torso, your head, your face, everything being filled with Swami's love. Every cell of your body is filled with His love. Breathe in His love into your brain, into your mind, so that you may have loving thoughts. <coughs> Feel yourself filling up with His love such that you are now overflowing with His love.
let us take this opportunity to share this love you can do it by folding your hands in a namaste pose and directing this love coming from swami to somebody you don't like someone who's causing pain and suffering you can send this love to your family members relatives this is swami's love it's unlimited now ask swami to send love through you to groups of people there can be orphans in an orphanage prisoners in a jail refugees in a refugee camp old age homes send love to whoever comes first to your mind you can send love to the people stranded in badrinath and kedarnath allow this love to fully stream through you now send this love to leaders political leaders business leaders presidents prime ministers ministers now send this love to yourself you can do this by simply hugging yourself putting your arms around you 
and say, I love me. Loudly. I love me. So that's very lame. It can be louder. I love me. Let's bring the roof down. I love me. Thanks, Swami, for this great opportunity to experience His love. And slowly come back. This love is all that is. The whole creation is love. There's nothing but love. Once we were doing this exercise with some children, and one of the girls said, all that we saw is love. It's love that is all that is. And that's what a small girl was telling us. Everyone is glowing now. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's looking happy, 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 happy. Always be happy, be happy. Should we talk about children for a bit? Because I know that many of you have questions. How do you manage children in this day and age when things are so difficult? Uh, there's so many influences to our children, and many of those influences are not at all what we would like. We try. We do a very good job. How many Balvikas gurus are here today? How many Balvikas gurus? Wonderful, wonderful. Our pranams to each and every one of you, because you do such wonderful work, you are worthy of worship, taking care of these children. Teach your children the truth. The same thing that we've shared with you today, share with them in a way that is appropriate for their age. But don't dilute it in any way. Let them know they are God. They have come here to play the game of love and service. And when they're done, they'll leave the body and go back to being God. The body is nothing more than a set of clothes that we put on for the fun of loving and serving. Allow them to learn that life is fun, life is joy, life is sharing love, giving love, and receiving love. And always, at every moment, remind them that they are God and that everything is God. The cutting ties work helps children also tremendously. In fact, uh, we've done a couple of workshops with the uh, Balvikas children in Hyderabad, in Shivam. And the children connect so easily. In fact, this exercise that we just did is called the Maypole technique. And you do it with children, the children connect so easily with Swami. In fact, one girl said, oh, earlier I used to think I can only pray to Swami. Now I know I can even talk to Swami. And another kid said that love is all there is. I could just feel myself completely surrounded by Swami's love. What a wonderful opportunity for us to share this with our children, helping them to turn inwards for all their answers. In fact, we practice this with our son. Every time he comes to us and says, oh, I have this issue, well, we tell him, ask Swami within. I don't know what you need. Only Swami does. And he immediately does the maypole and tunes into Swami. So 
This work really empowers children, helping them to connect with the higher consciousness. In fact, the external uh, matters just simply seem to fade away. So whether they need help with exams, whether they need help with, um, you know, with their friends or with peer issues, pressure, peer, pressure peer pressure and so forth, this work will empower them. It's okay to be tough with children, you know, it's all right. Again, coming back to this, that the space of love, Swami always says, you know, there's a term which is called tough love, you know. It's okay to be strict with children. It's okay to show them the way. Uh, you don't have to always be like, oh, you know, mushy mushy about it. But at the same time, you uh, set the ground rules and emphasize the discipline. As parents, we feel the greatest gift you can give your children is not a good education, a warm and loving environment to grow up in, a safe home. All that is important. That is part of parenting. But the most important thing we can give our children is the knowledge, the skill to tune into the inner Swami, to the inner Sai, and get the answers that they need from Swami for whatever their life is. See, as long as we as parents are with our children, we can guide them, we can say this is good, this is not good, etc. That is all fine. But you all know that you cannot do that forever. They're going to grow up, they're going to be out of your purview, they may even just go over to their friend's home where you cannot watch them. But when you give them the ability to tune into the inner side, when you give them the confidence that Swami is within them, speaking to them all the time, and is just one thought away, then you have given them the greatest gift that we as parents can give to our children. Show them the way. First you do, right? Swami says first be, then do, then tell. So if you're not tuning into Swami, then all your words to your children will be waste. First you learn to tune into Swami. Just like we did today, go into silence, do the thumb meditation, see Swami standing before you. Self-realization is just one thought away. Have that thought of oneness and tune into the inner side. When you are first being that and doing that, then you can tell. What we are talking about with you today, this is what we live on a daily basis. This is what we are. We know that we are that. We know that we are nothing. We know there is no Srikantar Shivani. That is all illusion. Name and form, all illusion. And we know that all of you are us. And we know that we are you. There's no difference in any way. Teach your children this truth. Show them the truth and keep on discussing in a fun way, not in a lecturing way. Like when we watch a movie, let's say we go to the movie theater, we watch a movie, we laugh and laugh, we eat caramel popcorn and we drink Coke or Sprite, we have a great time and we come back and we all enjoy ourselves. Afterwards, we might ask our son, what did you think when such and such event happened in the movie? We're not telling them, we're just asking them, bringing it out. We're bringing out the divine qualities. And as we do that, then we think, how would you feel if someone had done that to you? Right? And then we ask, what would you have done in that situation? So we're teaching that oneness all the time in a fun way, in a loving way, in a joyful way, and showing him that you are God 
and that God is within you. Whenever you face a challenge in this game, just tune into Swami, get the answer and then go. Simple. If your children are bothering you for gadgets because of peer pressure and, or some video games and so forth, well, tell your children, let's tune into Swami and ask him what does he want? What is his will? Share that with your children and then tune in together to Swami using the maypole symbol and Swami waits to talk to us. Swami waits to guide us. So you will receive the answer. There's no doubt about it. But you have to practice. And you can start it with your children. Help them practice together. But get into this habit of tuning into Swami on a daily basis as many times. Swami doesn't get tired of helping us. He waits for us to align our will with His. Right? This brings us back to one of the questions that was asked earlier about desires. And how can we move forward if we don't have desires? When you're tuning into Swami, what will happen is that your only desire is to allow Swami to think through you, feel through you, speak through you, act through you, work through you, love through you, and breathe through you. In other words, you have nothing that you want for yourself. So when you're talking about progressing and moving forward, the progress is when you allow Swami's glory to manifest itself through your life. What a beautiful opportunity. When you allow Swami's love to manifest it in the smallest action that you perform, whether it is picking something up or speaking to an individual, allow Swami's love to manifest itself in everything that you do, whether it is taking care of your children, your family, your work, that is the greatest that you can achieve in this lifetime. You have become nothing, zero. And only Swami's glory is manifesting in every moment. Shall we do a meditation to feel what it is like? We will do this as our last meditation, and then we'll have time for questions. But I really want you to put aside your monkey mind for some time. This meditation that we're going to do will show you how to reprogram yourself so that you can actually experience what we have been discussing today, that you are God and everything is God. You are Sai and everything is Sai. Everything is absolute bliss, perfection and beauty. So are you ready? Yes or no? Good. All right, let's sit up straight. Let's make ourselves comfortable. Please don't get too serious. This is going to be fun. I'm going to give you a series of statements. We'll spend a little bit of time on each statement. And what I want you to do is just to go through the feeling, the awareness that each statement invokes. You don't have to think about it, especially for all the people on this side of the room. Don't think too much. No monkey mind. Just go through the feeling of what that statement evokes. What is it like? Okay, let's begin. The first statement. I know what it is like to be loved completely and unconditionally by Swami. I know what it is like 
to be loved completely and unconditionally by Swami, by Sai. Go within yourself and see what this feels like. And if you're not sure, ask Swami, tell him, show me. I know what it is like to be loved completely and unconditionally by God, by Swami. Show me. If you find resistance in yourself, ask Swami to remove that resistance. Ask Him to remove the resistance to being loved. The next statement. I know what it is like to be a pure, unlimited instrument of Swami's love. I know what it is like to be a pure, unlimited instrument of Swami's divine, unconditional love. What does it feel like? If you're not sure, ask Swami, show me. Don't analyze too much. Don't think too much. Just go with the experience of being a pure, unlimited instrument of Swami's divine, unconditional love. The next statement. I understand what it feels like to be pure, unconditional love. I understand what it feels like to be pure, unconditional love. What is the feeling? What is the experience, the awareness of being pure, unconditional love? Show me. Now let us go higher, much higher. I understand what it feels like to not have a body. 
I understand what it feels like to not have a body. What does it feel like to be free of any body identification? What does it feel like to not have a body? Show me. Let us go higher still. I understand what it feels like to be beyond name and form. I understand what it feels like to be beyond name and form. Let go of any resistance and ask Swami to show you what it feels like to be beyond name and form. Allow yourself to go higher. Allow yourself to go beyond name and form. Letting go of all resistance, all thoughts. The next statement. I understand what it feels like to be pure, absolute, Consciousness. I understand what it feels like to be pure, absolute consciousness. Aswami, show me.
and the last statement. I understand what it feels like to be God. I understand what it feels like to be God. You can recall these statements at any time. I know what it feels like to be pure, unconditional love. I know what it feels like to be loved completely by Swami. I know what it feels like to be a pure, unlimited instrument of Swami's unconditional love. I know what it feels like to be without a body, I know what it feels like to be beyond name and form. I know what it feels like to be pure, absolute consciousness. I know what it feels like to be God. Practice these statements every day you can use your own words if you like. But ask Swami to show you what is it like to be beyond name and form? What is it like to be beyond freedom? What is it like to be God? Let's give thanks to Swami for this opportunity to share with you this morning. Let's gently come back to the present moment. When you're ready, you can open your eyes and gently wiggle your hands and feet. It is Sunday, the 23rd of June, and it is about 10 after 1 p.m. That was a lot that we shared with you. Take these experiences back home. Practice them every day. Everything is tapasya. Don't be like those people I told you about earlier who remember for one or two days and then go back asleep, falling back into their coma of forgetfulness. Wake up and remember the truth that you are God and that everything is God. Srikanth and Shivani, we are nothing. We're nothing at all. We're just simply parts of yourselves that have come back to nudge you awake. We're nothing more than that. We are not important. 
the Swami inside yourself, the Sai that you are, that is all that matters. I think we have time for questions. So we have time for questions. So if you have any, we're happy to answer them. He's, the question is, why do we encounter obstacles in doing our sadhana? Probably in terms of, uh, I, I personally experience a lot of, uh, you know, kind of physical uh, well-being, out of physical well-being in terms of, you know, kind of, when I was doing my sadhana and stuff. So why do we encounter you know, obstacles? How do why, we overcome them? Why do we encounter obstacles in our sadhana? For fun, no? For fun, no? It's a game. See, if you're playing a game of football and the goal is there and everyone and you have to make the goal and the opponents come and they all stand like this saying, Sairam, Sairam, please make the goal. What fun will the game be? Right? It's a game. Play it. Have fun. Enjoy the obstacles. That is your tapas. If you lived in a perfect environment, if everyone was always loving and beautiful, if everyone spoke the truth, if everyone was Satya, Dharma, Prema, Shanti, Ahimsa, how much would you learn? This is where the learning takes place. This is where you learn. You know why Swami says that being born on this planet at this time is the same as having won the lottery? It is because that, there are that many souls, part of yourself only, waiting to take birth, this is where the learning takes place. This is where the advancing takes place. If you don't have any obstacles, how will you learn? No? If you just go to a gym and you want to lift weights to make your muscles strong, but there are no weights, you just do like this, how will you exercise your muscles? Obstacles have to be there. That's part of the game. Enjoy. No? That's the tapas. Enjoy. It's also God. But do your sadhana. Once Swami was asked, for how long should we do our sadhana? And Swami said, for as long as you are breathing, you have to continue your sadhana. As long as you are breathing, you have to continue your sadhana. Uh, you just mentioned in your talk, and I've read it several times before, that uh, view everybody as God. You just mentioned that. And all through my life, I've tried to do that. <laughs> but uh, when there are people who are very wicked at workplace or in your family, it becomes you try to be nice to them, then they, you know, dish out something really dirty to you. Then you lose your poise. Uh, also, when they don't, okay, you try to keep away from them and you, you do your work, they don't let you. You know, so those are questions which I have not found any answers to. Uh, I don't know, maybe I am doing something wrong. When they do something wrong, as you said, I have always believed that you cannot keep your mouth shut and you cannot close your eyes and see, I didn't see anything. So in the, in the whole idea of righteousness, when you try to open your mouth, you are getting yourself, you know, upset over those doing wrong and, you know, what's the way out? You either keep your eyes closed and just, you know, pretend nothing happened 
if you open your eyes and you are looking and you are talking, you are saying, you are speaking the right things, then you make loads of enemies everywhere and they don't let you be in peace anywhere. How do you, I mean, what, what do you suggest we do? And uh, I have also experienced that when you, because I have always tried to take messages from Swami and he's always guided me and no harm has ever come to me. But the peace of mind thing that you're trying to teach now isn't happening, you know, because nobody has done any material, able to do material harm because you're doing the right thing all the time and Swami is there to protect you. But, but the peace of mind and, you know, the feeling of well-being doesn't remain when, uh, you know, there are such people around. So how do you see Swami in them? It's very difficult. I have not been able to do that. Thank you for that question. Uh, as we said earlier that, you know, Swami always says reflection, reaction, resound. So every time you're faced with these situations, you have to go within yourself and see what is it in me that's creating such experiences? Is it anger in me? Is it lack of acceptance for myself? Is it lack of love for myself? One good technique to use, which we often use, is these four sentences. Anytime you're faced with, say, negativity, or you are faced with fear-based situations, just tell that person from your heart, I love you, I am sorry, please forgive me, and thank you. I love you, I am sorry, I love you because love heals. I am sorry, you are taking full responsibility of that situation. It is you who has created it, not them. Please forgive me, you are throwing the ego out of the window. And thank you because you are grateful that this experience has come, otherwise you would not grow. Let me repeat, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me and thank you. Four magical sentences. This is transforming the negativity within yourself. It is transforming the fear within yourself. Husbands, if you do this, you will have a happy, happy marriage. Wives don't have to do it. No, wives are okay. usually correct, no? Yeah. Wives are usually correct. Most, most of the time, yeah. Everything is reflection, reaction, resound. So when you are faced with any situation, there are only two possibilities, only two. The first, whatever you're seeing is a reflection of whatever is in you coming back to you. The second opportunity, see sometimes somebody can be mean to you or unpleasant and it has nothing to do with you. The second possibility is that creation is giving you a chance to share unconditional love. Instead of creation being the mirror, you are being a, the opportunity to be the mirror of love back to that part of yourself. Everything wants only love at the end of the day. Either those two, that's it. Either something is being reflected back to you, which is probably 90% of the time, and the other 10%, you're just being given the chance to mirror unconditional love back. Most people don't like to see it as a reflection because you're like, oh my God, I'm so bad. <laughs> I wouldn't like to believe I'm so bad. But then it's not that you are bad, it's just an aspect of you that the universe is popping up for you to take care of. 
and if you don't take care of it will keep coming back again and again to you till you learn your lesson and love that aspect of yourself also that's also divine it's part of the game love that part also love yourself feeling hurt love yourself for losing your peace love yourself for being negative that is also swami i have two questions one is should compassion and discipline not go in hand hand in hand when we see beggars asking begging at the uh, traffic signal and we know what kind of things are happening behind is it always necessary to help them out i always have this doubt in my mind should we be really helping out everybody who asks for money or asks for anything whatsoever so second thing is compassion and discipline unless we have together many times we find that people misuse your goodness second question which i want you to answer in the same breath i am able to connect with swami i i get my answers most of the times but occasionally that you know the ego pops up or whatever it is you get a feeling whether you are really getting the answer or you are it's your own ego which is giving the answer this i am not able to yet resolve thank you well as far as the beggars are concerned i think swami has uh, always said that uh, because there's money associated with uh, this karma associated with giving money so if you are giving money to someone without being discriminating and that person goes and misuses the money then you get 50% of that karma okay so that means you have to be very discriminating yes you can help but you can help in other ways maybe say by giving food carrying some biscuits with you or bread or something that you can help of course you can be of help you can serve but when money comes there is uh, karma associated with it uh, and what we do is we carry food very frequently when we travel so that if somebody does ask we share it with them we don't think we don't keep the small things aside the best of what we have we give to that person the best of what we have we give to them not in a wasteful sort of way but in a loving way and we support those organizations which are helping those indeed very much physically financially we really give as much as we can to that and we do it with love discipline for example now whatever time we say okay this is the time for registration people will keep coming half an hour 45 minutes first day you help like second day you oblige but it never stop now it becomes very difficult for me to say no every time if i say yes and i entertain the whole schedule gets upset Hmm. have discipline no life without discipline is like carrying a bucket of water with holes in the bucket discipline has to be there swami says otherwise whatever you're carrying will go waste have discipline not a military style discipline although many times even that is required but a loving discipline whereas we say sidearm sorry the timing is over but please come back tomorrow and we'll accommodate you you can do it with love and joy and peace and still provide the compassion that is required and even if you're not able to help 
you can still show them in a loving way where they need to go. For example, in Swami's hospital, Swami's hospitals are meant to be models of how healthcare can be provided free of cost with love and compassion. They are not meant to provide free care to every person who is poor in India. It's not possible. The population is too much. We have about eight or 800 to 1,000 beds within our four hospitals. There's no way that 1,000 free beds, hospital beds, can provide care to 1.3 billion people. But what we can do, even if we're not able to help that particular individual because that particular category of, say, surgery is closed because we have so many people already waiting, is we very lovingly show them the way to other resources where they can get the care that they require. We may not be able to help them ourselves, but we can, with love, show them exactly where they need to go to get the help they require. That's the tough love part. Last time, in last lecture, you had mentioned that when you get these intuitive feelings, and if you want to confirm, you can ask Swami to give some kind of physical sign. Just elaborate on that once, please. Okay. So you can always ask for visible indications. Now, one thing is what we have realized with the practice of tuning into Swami is that as long as you are seeking guidance as Swami outside of you, then you will always have a doubt. But when you are asking for guidance from the Swami within you, you can never have a doubt. You don't need clarifications. Because the feeling, the uplifting energy that you will feel once you get guidance from Swami, it's just like how it was in Darshan. When you saw Swami, you were just like, oh, couldn't stop smiling, right? You will have the same feeling. And it will be very uplifting. It will not be fear-based. It will not ask you to uh, act in haste. So, and of course, if you still need, Swami is so patient with us. He will give you visible indications that yes, this is exactly what he wants. The same guidance may come to you in multiple ways. You know, different people telling you the same thing. You may come across a book and you're reading exactly what you got through the inner guidance. You may hear a song. You may hear, you know, a friend may call you up and tell you exactly the same thing. So that's called synchronicity, where the whole universe is pointing you to the same direction. Sairam, I have two queries. One is, during tea time, one of my friends, she told me, when she was doing thumb meditation, she couldn't see thumb, she couldn't see herself also, but her full uh, consciousness went to that Kedarnath, uh, uh, this one, destruction. So she was thinking about that and pitying about that. Why is this, she asked. And then my question is, I would like to know more about pure consciousness. So the first question was somebody was doing thumb meditation, they couldn't see the thumb, they couldn't see the themselves. Remember what Swami says, when you're doing thumb meditation properly, first the thumb disappears, then you disappear, then everything disappears. And in that state, you become that, pure consciousness. In this case, this sister, the thumb disappeared, she disappeared, but the monkey mind appeared. Right? Monkey mind. It's all monkey mind. What is pure consciousness? It is that which cannot be described in words. It is reality. 
pure consciousness alone exists and it is only one thought away. We can speak to you from the perspective of absolute consciousness, but unless you let go of duality and unless you accept oneness, it'll be difficult for you to appreciate. Self-realization is only one thought away and that thought is oneness, letting go of all separation. And as you do this, you will understand. But I want you all to understand, self-realization is not a destination. It is not that like we have traveled to Dharmakshetra and we have arrived. That is not like self-realization. Self-realization is like imagination. It is endless. It goes on and on. There is no end to the depth of consciousness. There is no limit. Many people think that once we are self-realized, the heavens will open, music will play, flowers will fall. No, as they say, before self-realization, you chop wood, you burn fire, you cook. After self-realization, you chop wood, you burn fire, you cook. Thank you, sir. Gen side, please, in the front. Sorry, in the back. Yes, sir. Side up. Here. Yeah, the question. Side up. We are selfish in the way we offer things to God, we do havans for peace of uh, mind, for peace of family members. How that fits in, in this kind of meditation? So are you trying to bribe God? We offer, you know, that's what we are selfish, we go to temple. Are you trying to pay God for something? For peace of mind, for yeah. health of the that family, that my daughter should find a good husband, uh, is that why you're doing the, the pujas? Because every time we go, we offer something, we are doing a good job, we are going to offer God. What's that purpose? We offer God so things go well. Why? For things to go well? Yeah, that is what we feel. Now every Saturday we go to Hanuman Mandir, he does, uh, uh, what you can say, how long to stay in first standard? How long will you study in first standard? For 10 lifetimes? 100 lifetimes? Get beyond that. God is there in the temple? Really? No. You are God. You are that. When you have physical form, when you are playing the game, Allow God to work through you. Allow God to think through you, feel through you, speak through you, act through you. Allow God's glory to manifest itself through you. How that happens is none of your concern. What other people do or don't do is none of your concern. Concern yourself with Swami thinking through you, feeling through you, breathing through you, speaking through you. Get yourself out of the way. Become Zero. Don't stay in first standard. Become zero. See, uh, as far as rituals and worship is concerned, yes, I'm sure they, they play a role. But as long as you are doing the prayers or the worship to the, to the form or the deity within you, it's okay. But if you're the minute you're pointing it outside, directing it to a statue or something, you're immediately creating separation for yourself. Ganesha is in you. You are Hanuman. You are Lakshmi. There's no difference. 
So move into that space instead of choosing to still continue doing the rounds of let me go to Tirupati, let me do there, let me do, you know, it's Balaji is in you. Okay. Here, uh, one more uh, thing that we'd like to think is about spiritual shopping. Yeah. You can visit, but you visit temple, but say that you are, but go with the intention and the feeling that you're going there to discover that aspect of yourself. You're going there to realize that you are that. Okay. The so temple space is only helping you as a catalyst to go into that space. So what temple do you like to go to? Just tell us. Which temple do you enjoy going to? Hanuman temple. So when you go to the Hanuman temple, think I am Hanuman. I am that. I am the strength of Hanuman. I am the beauty and grace of Hanuman. Think like that. Feel like that. Draw that from Hanumanji into yourself and become that. Sir had a question here. If uh, God is within you and you are God, then why millions of people visit uh, Vishnu Devi, Kashi, Tirupati, Rameshwar? Is it helping or it is just a blind faith? For this loka, this this Bhumi loka, that is fine. That is like first, second, third standard. Eventually you reach the point where you know that you are the goddesses enshrined or the gods enshrined in each of those temples, in each of those sacred places. You are that. And then you realize you don't have to go anywhere because you are everything. Our experience is that the whole creation resides within us. Simply by shifting our attention just as I look from this side of the room to that side of the room. You can look at any aspect of creation. It's all within you. There is nothing separate or outside of you. But we still go to Puttaparthi because we enjoy the experience. We enjoy having fun. We still watch movies because we're here to play. We enjoy laughing. We swim. We dance. We eat chocolate. And it's fine. It's fun. But we are not attached to any of it. Remember what Swami says, you can have it all, do it all, be it all, and play it all. But there is only one rule, no attachments to anything. Now there's some written questions from the audience, but we need to discuss something that's important. We see a lot of you are doing this, and it is called spiritual shopping or spiritual tourism. Basically jumping from one guru to another, hoping someone will help you to get there. There is no there to get to. You know? Stick to one guru. Stick to your inner guru. inner guru. It is the inner guru who will help you to realize your truth. Believe going to this form or that form, dragging your body from one place to another hoping someone will fulfill a desire or someone will give you that. Nobody can give you that. It's the inner self. You're already that. So stop shopping. It's as if you one end, it's like skipping or you know shifting paths, jumping from one path to the other. You're not going to reach your destination. You're just taking too many detours. No more shopping. Start practicing instead. 
Now there's a question from the audience. It says, Dear Shivani and Srikanth, can you please tune in to Swami and ask him what is the winning lottery number for next week? No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So the question is, some of us are keen on, on, from the cardiology perspective, from the medical perspective, how meditation and other spiritual practices can help them control their cholesterol, heart, and other health problems. I'm paraphrasing the question. You see, everything is reflection reaction and resound. Whatever thoughts we send out will be reflected back to us in one form or another. This is a reflective universe. What that means is if you want love, you have to be love. So to the person who is asking about her inharmonious colleagues at work and her inharmonious family members, if you want love, if you want peace, you have to be love. You have to be peace. You may say that you are being loving and peaceful, but look at your thoughts the next moment. Are they going here and there? Every illness, every medical issue that we face is simply a manifestation of a lack of love in our lives. It is simply a manifestation of a lack of love. Whether you want to prescribe to allopathic medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, homeopathy, it doesn't matter what the system that you use. It is only a lack of love that is being reflected back to you. Let us take cardiology. Why do people get heart attacks? The blood in our body represents joy, right? When we, when we are singing with joy, when we are enthusiastic with joy, where does that joy come from? From our leg? From our ear? No, where does it come from? Hearts, right? When we get a heart attack, there is a blockage. Physically, there is a blockage in the artery. Symbolically, it represents a blockage of love, a blockage of joy in our lives. Invariably, when I see someone who has had a heart attack, they have blocked the flow of joy in their lives. Look at that. Angioplasty patients, bypass patients, look at yourself and see where in your lives have you blocked that flow of joy. When I see someone who smokes, I'm very strict as a doctor. I'm very strict. I can make that patient cry because they are smoking. But when everything is done, when all the scolding as a physician is done, I will tell them, do you really want to know why you smoke? And they'll say yes. And I will tell them, it is because you do not love yourself and it hits them like an arrow in the chest. Because they do not love themselves, that is why they smoke. If you love yourself, you will take care of yourself. You will never pick up anything impure. You will never eat anything impure because that love is so strong within you. You will never even think of smoking. Because these smokers do not love themselves, they pick up the cigarettes. And I can give them any number of counseling, Family members can give them any number of scoldings. We can give them nicotine patches and medications and all the counseling in the world to help them quit. But unless they learn to love themselves, they will not succeed. And so this is what I do. I help them to love themselves, just as we did with you today. I hope you're not all a big group of smokers, but hopefully you have learned to love yourself. I think there's a question from here. 
title Bijan Freedom, why they chose this title? Is freedom itself not the goal? Is freedom itself not the goal? Those are just concepts. Those are just ideas. You take things like moksha, self-realization, freedom, knowledge, wisdom, jnana, gurus, energy, shakti, ascension. Those are all just concepts. Concepts that arise from the monkey mind. Let go of those concepts. What is beyond freedom? You have to experience it. You have to be that. No, not joy. That is concepts. What is beyond love? What is beyond consciousness? It is absolute beingness. But you have to experience it. Do the work. I cannot tell you what chocolate tastes like. You have to taste it for yourself to understand. Do the work. Do the practices. Do the thumb meditation. Share love with all of creation. Love yourself. Simple things. We are not telling you that you have to go and chant some mantra 1,008 times. No. It's giving you simple, small things shared by Swami himself. Okay, this question is... Uh I find it difficult to, if I recite the name, it seems mechanical. What should I do? Share love. And uh, meditation is 24 hours a day. Meditation is not something that you're just doing for 10-15 minutes every day at one time. Well, you can start with sitting meditation to settle yourself. But the point is that the whole feeling, the whole experience should last you throughout the day. It's 24 hours a day. And how can you be in that meditative state? By sharing love. By constantly choosing to see oneness and not separation. Anything that you do with focus, with concentration, becomes meditation. Because you're becoming one with whatever it is that you're doing. If you're cooking, become one with what you are cooking. It's just a part of you. When I'm in the operating theater and I'm taking care of a patient during open heart surgery, the chest is open, heart is beating, we're helping the surgeons. I'm not doing namasmarana. I'm certainly not doing thumb meditation. My full awareness and attention is on the task at hand. There's nothing in the past and there's nothing in the future. As soon as the task is over, I immediately step back into the self. Immediately. There's not even a second's delay. Once the task is finished, I go back to being God. And you can do that too, simply by silencing the mind. The more you practice, the more easy it becomes. Use a thumb meditation and silence the mind. All of you, today is Sunday. If you start doing the thumb meditation today, by Friday, you should all have realized samadhi. No? Hard 28 minutes. No, that's it. 28 minutes, you can have samadhi. Many times, I'll sit on the veranda after darshan is over in Puttaparthi, and I'll just do thumb meditation. Half an hour, one hour, an hour and a half goes by. And then the sevadal comes and does like this. 
then that samadhi ends. Simple. This is all you need, nothing else. Swami says, if you want to love yourself, think that you are pure. Think that you are pure. Even if you're not, even if you feel whatever, just think that you are pure. And in that purity, the self-love will automatically come. People who don't love themselves think that they are impure, right? That they are not good enough, that they have done something wrong, etc., etc. Swami says, if you want to love yourself, think that you are pure. When you love yourself, you can then share love with all of creation in every single moment of your life. A very important aspect of self-love is self-acceptance also. So you accept, when we are saying love yourself for being negative or love yourself for being fearful, we are saying accept that part of you. What we all do is we lock up all our bad qualities, our anger, our greed, our lust, our this, our that, and we like to project the very nice part of ourselves. Oh, I'm a good side devotee, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm trying to follow Swami's teachings and so forth. But the times that we are living in now, as we have moved into the Satyuga, everything that you have locked up in the safety vault is coming out. And you are being faced with it in your face. It could be something that you brushed aside 10 years ago. It could be a fear. It could have been something that you didn't take care of or complete. It's all coming out. So one good way to deal with it is to have compassion for that aspect of yourself which did something in the past or is still continuing to do. Once you start accepting that part of yourself, then there is light. Then there is no dark side of you. You are bringing it out in the open for Swami to heal. Self-acceptance is very important because also we all feel we need to keep bashing ourselves up, you know. I am so bad, back. I am so, I did this, back. I didn't follow this, back. What are we doing? We are just putting ourselves down all the time. That's not going to help. Instead, we choose to love ourselves. And like the way Swami loves us, we are Swami, we are going to help ourselves to go forward. Once we asked Swami, Shivani was sitting in front of Swami and our son was in the middle and I was on Swami's side. And we said, Swami, I asked him, I said, Swami, we see the way that you love and we want to love like you do, but sometimes we are not able to. Immediately, immediately, Swami said, he said to Shivani, because sometimes you are afraid. And to confirm what we had heard, I asked Swami, I said, because we are afraid, Swami? And Swami nodded and then he turned to me and then he said, and because sometimes you forget. Why are we not able to love like Swami loves? Because sometimes we are afraid and because sometimes we forget. We are afraid to love because we think maybe we might get hurt, maybe we might feel weak, maybe the social situation somehow doesn't allow us to give love. Maybe it's at work where you're supposed to be tough and left-brained all the time. But if we are love in that situation, we can be love anywhere. Sometimes we forget to love. Most of the times we forget to love. My personal practice is to see every interaction and every opportunity as a chance to give love. 
And if I forget, I say, oh, man, Swami, you got me that time. Next time you won't do it. Make it a game. Like keep on practicing giving, giving, giving love so that I don't forget. I think we'll just take one or two more questions. How much of think nothing, feel nothing should be practiced? What if it leads to a point of detachment, which leads to indifference, a lack of display of affection in marital life or towards children? This is a good question. Yeah, That's a very good question. Thank you. Think nothing, feel nothing, doesn't mean that you become a stone. It doesn't mean that you're becoming indifferent. What it's meaning is you're detaching from the drama. We all are very involved with the dramas in our life, right? The point is that you are just simply stepping back and you are being a witness, an observer to what's happening. So when Swami said, think nothing, feel nothing, just watch my play. So then you are also in one sense letting go of any doership that I did this, hence this is happening or I need to do this. No. My personal practice is, uh, uh, comes from a lesson I learned by watching the students that were around Swami, physically taking care of Swami or assisting Swami. And you notice how when Swami is out during darshan, those boys will be watching Swami with one-pointed attention. Swami doesn't even have to say something. I've been in this situation where Swami just does like this. He does like this to me. Instantly I know what to do and I run off to do it. So he will do the same with those boys. He will just do like this. He will look this way. And they will understand what to do and they will immediately go and do that. As soon as the task is finished, they come back to Swami's side and they wait for the next instruction or indication from Swami. Inwardly, we can all do the same thing. By doing the thumb meditation, we silence the mind. We lose the thumb, we lose ourselves, and we become that. When we are quiet inside, we can watch Swami, just like those boys watched the outer Swami. And when we watch the inner Swami, then we can await his instructions and act accordingly. Then every thought, every word, every deed comes from Swami and not from the monkey mind. Then life is beautiful and tremendous, amazing things will happen in your life. So one more question. This is interesting. This one more question. Okay, two more questions, sorry. So he, on the gent side and then the lady side. Hello. Okay, sir, my name is Robert. You asserted uh, Advaita so far. You said that it's, it's like a thing where we, uh, we forgot ourselves and we got ourselves involved with, uh, for whatever reason, all this Maya. But then to go back, we have to go back using concepts, either by Bhakti or by Jnana or whatever, whatever it is. But I just wanted to ask you, um, Advaita is the goal and then what is Dvaita? Dvaita was also asserted by Madhvacharya, the Panchabeda, Ishwara, Jadabeda, Ishwara, Jiva, Beda. What was that? Concepts. Those are all concepts. So the question is about if Dvaita, Advaita, non-duality is the goal, what are these other things like Dvaita and so forth? Just concepts. Concepts. Then unless you experience, unless, and it's just one thought away. Advaita, non-duality, is just one thought away. If you want to be like Adi Shankaracharya, it just requires one thought. That's it. All the other things, just ideas, just concepts. Leave them. And on the lady's side, please. 
Um, I, I think most of the devotees did feel it like uh, the last few years when Baba was confined to the chair. I mean, I'm still pained by it. Uh, why did that, that happen? I mean, why was Swami confined to the chair? I remember once I was uh, talking with Swami. No, I'm sorry. Several times I would speak with Swami during the last years of his physical life, especially during the last year. When we came in 2008, every time we would go, it would be la la la, and Swami would speak to us, and he would call us in, or this would happen, and it was all love. And we thought, ah, Swami speaks like this to all of his doctors, it's just the same. And, and actually, it wasn't like that. Swami was gradually withdrawing. He was pulling away. And several times I spoke to Swami and I could not understand what he was saying. There was not a word, it was just like the sound of thunder coming from his mouth. It was amazing. It was terrifying at times because I felt like I was asking Swami the wrong thing. Once I asked him, the last time I physically spoke to him, just a month or two before he was admitted to the hospital in 2011, I asked Swami on behalf of all that I was sitting behind his chair during a program from our hospital. And so I asked Swami, Swami, please come to our hospital in Whitefield and bless all of our doctors and staff there. Lovingly, I asked him. The sound that came from Swami was like a hundred thunderclaps and I sat down very quickly after that. I didn't ask again. Yet at the same time, there were several times where I heard Swami do the same thing to other devotees and they were trying to, and you know what happens is when you try to get Swami to say what you want to hear. So they would say, Swami, you want me to do this, right? And then they would go back to their friends and say, Swami told me to do this. And I thought, that's not what Swami said. You're just trying to put whatever Swami interaction you had to fit whatever you wanted. But when this would happen, once I remember Swami just turned to me after saying something like that to someone, and he spoke as clearly and lucidly as could be. And I understood that everything that he was saying was just a play. And one of our doctors was once, this was in 2010, one of our doctors was once in Swami. So those last years that you were speaking about, he was in Swami's home inside Yajur Mandir with Swami and he was sitting with Swami discussing some work for Swami's hospitals. And it was just Swami and this doctor, this uh, doctor who works with us. And there were some documents that needed to be reviewed by Swami and the documents were on another table on the opposite side of the room. So the doctor said, Swami, I'll bring those documents for you. And Swami said, no need, I'll get them myself. Swami just stood up, he walked over to those documents as if nothing was there and he picked up the documents in his hand and he just smiled at our friend. As soon as he smiled, the next moment, one of the senior devotees, one of the trustees came into the room. And as soon as Swami saw that man, Swami said, oh, like this. And he started to, to, to drag himself back to his chair. And this trustee went and scolded this doctor friend. What are you doing? Why are you making Swami walk like this? Da, 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 da. And they helped Swami back into this chair. And Swami sat back down going like this, as if he was in so much pain. Swami's drama. So the answer is, why did we see Swami like that? It was all his drama. Swami is not that little five feet tall form. He says, I'm five feet tall, five two, with hair. <laughs> he is not that small form. He is you, and you are he. 
He is an omnipresent Sai, which is everything. That Sai, which is all that exists. But what was happening is that we devotees were becoming too attached to that form. And you know what Swami said once? He said, those who desire the form will in the end attain that form. But even they have to be born again until they learn to attain the formless. So if you want to attain the form, fine. But you will come back maybe after a hundred years and we will come back through some other body or some other form because we are everything. And we will be telling you the exact same thing that we are telling you now. If it has name and form on any loka, it is all illusion. With that, we thank you. One more? Okay, one more question. This question is, uh, when we embrace unpleasant circumstances, how much should we embrace until we decide to escape or fight back? How should we decide whether peaceful tolerance is enough? Well, you ask Swami. It's very simple. You ask Swami, what would he like you to do? What would he like you to put up with or not put up with? But of course, with unpleasant circumstances, we'll go back to the basic that if you are tolerating a dharma, then you are also incurring karma. Uh, just by being tolerant or being a doormat or being a punching bag, you are not serving anybody. That is a very big uh, misconception. By tolerating a dharma, you are participating in, you are incurring karma. So it is up to you to decide how much karma you want to earn. But the best thing to do is to ask Swami inside, what would He like you to do? What is His will for you? How would He like to use you? Each person is trying to control the other. As you rise in awareness, you will give up trying to control anyone or anything. You will just allow Swami to work through you without trying to control the situation. What is your will? The only question we ever ask Swami in our prayers or meditation is, what is your will? We don't ask anything else. That is where the cutting ties work comes into the play. That is where the symbols help you to actually not try to control someone or for someone else to try to control you. It helps you to release that and go into a space of unconditional love. So we do have tools available to do practice that. It gives you freedom. It gives you freedom. We love you all very much. We give you love beyond words. And we thank you for sharing this time with us, for giving your attention, for giving us the opportunity to share Swami's love with all these aspects of ourselves. Go back and discuss what we've shared with you practice what we've shared with you and experience what we have shared with you. We love you. Sairam. Sairam Swamis.